Good evening. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 this evening. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to be uh, turning to 1 Peter chapter 2 as we continue our study in 1 Peter. But let me ask you a question before we begin. Does the name Jesse Roper Mohorovich mean anything to you? Jesse Roper Mohorovich. Well, Probably many today don't know that name, but uh, there was a moment when, uh, when this uh, young uh, child was born that he became an instant celebrity. Uh, March 30th, 1942, born off the shores of North Carolina, and I'll explain that here in a moment. But right around this time, the United States had just entered into World War II, and the German U-boats were uh, lurking in the Atlantic sea lanes off the coast of Virginia and North Carolina. Uh, it was said that this was the most dangerous seas uh, at that time. Uh, in fact, more people died there in those waters than in Pearl Harbor. And there was a woman by the name of Desanka, and she was eight and a half weeks pregnant at the time, and she happened to be in these waters. She was in a freighter uh, that was going to a destination, and it just happened that her uh, passenger freighter was torpedoed. And during the peril of her escaping the cabin, to getting into a lifeboat uh, while this storm raged on. And while the freighter was sinking, uh, her doctor was injured. She gave birth on lifeboat number four at 2.30 a.m. And, uh, and two days later, uh, they happened to be rescued while they were out at sea by the Navy destroyer, Jesse Roper. And so you kind of understand uh, why she named uh, her child uh, that uh, after they rescued him. But he became known as the lifeboat baby. Uh, Maybe maybe you remember that. Uh, He was a national sensation. Media coverage uh, throughout his life. They were uh, always interviewing him, uh, wanting to know his interests as he grew up, wanting to know his favorite sports teams. Later on in life, he appeared on game shows such as To Tell the Truth. And I've got a secret. And it's no wonder that so many were interested in his unique story. Uh, just think if, if perhaps he and his mother were just two of the approximately you know, 5,000 people who died at sea during these events. You know, his name would simply be uh, an anonymous tragedy. Right? No one would remember uh, his mother or, or himself, but his birth and life during that time period became a symbol of hope and victory. Matter of fact, newspapers heralded Jesse as living proof that the Allies could not be defeated. And hopefully, our study of First Peter these past couple of weeks have been also living proof, you know, living hope, living proof that those who put their faith and hope in Christ will not be defeated either. And so uh, we we spent the past couple of weeks talking about First Peter chapter 1, really this theme of hope in salvation, in Christ's salvation. And we're going to turn our attentions as we go into chapters 2 and 3 to hope in Christ's teaching. Remember, First Peter chapter 1, the first 12 verses, we talked about the joy of hope, you know, being born again, of uh, having that grade of salvation. And then last week, we looked at the conduct of hope, you know, because uh, we are born again. Because God offers this salvation, you know, we want to live in such a way to please him. And we talked a lot about uh, holiness and being holy because, because God is holy. And again, now we're going to focus more as we move into chapters 2 and 3 of Christ's teaching. And remember those hats that we discussed a few weeks ago uh, when we really did this general overview of First Peter, uh, all five chapters? 
Well, a lot of those hats are going to show up in tonight's sermon. Uh, when he talked about Christians as being newborn babies and living stones and a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Again, a lot of these unique descriptions of Christians being a disciple of Christ is going to come up in this section of Scripture. And so as we begin 1 Peter chapter 2, we want to focus uh, now on the uniqueness of hope. Again, we first we looked at the joy of hope, and then we looked at the conduct of hope, and now we're going to look at the uniqueness of hope. And again, being unique, you know, we are holy. We are set apart, different, unique, because He is holy. Uh, we are peculiar people. Uh, ver- chapter two, verse nine. Uh, people for God's own possession. Some translation says a peculiar people. We are unique in that fact. And and so I'm going to give you three points this evening as we go through read th- this text here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, is that we are unique in our intake, we are unique in our identity, and we are unique in our impression. So let's, let's notice this, uh, the first three verses, that we are unique in our intake. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1, Peter writes, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You know, Peter still has holiness on his mind. You know, holiness is not just a mindset, but it's also our how we behave. You remember back in verse 18 of chapter 1, he told us that we need to abandon Really, the, the life uh, that we inherited from our forefathers, you know, really talking about uh, it was a futile life, a fruitless life uh, that probably, you know, your friends or your coworkers are still living and bracing. But you need to abandon that, Peter said, because there can be no holiness, he explained to us, without the love of the brethren and the obedience to the truth. And look at that first word in chapter two, therefore, therefore, because of all those things, he says, Now put these things aside. And he lists, he gives us a list. He says, get these things out of your life. Uh, Don't, don't, no longer practice these things. At first he says malice. And that's just another word for wickedness, uh, evil intent towards others. No longer practice malice. No longer practice deceit. You know, treachery that harms others for personal gain. Or hypocrisy. You know, that's pretending to be affectionate uh, towards one for an advantage. You know, you're playing a role, uh, being a hypocrite. No longer practice that. And also envy. You know, sometimes we think of envy as being jealousy, but envy is much more than being jealous. It's not that I'm jealous that someone has this, but I'm envious because they have that. And I want to see ill will towards them uh, because they have something that I desire. Right? Peter says, no longer be envious. And no longer be uh, to commit slander. Of course, that's evil speaking. Because, you know, in the time period that they're living in and being persecuted as they were, uh, and they used to practice these things, you know, it would have been pretty easy for them to maybe go back, uh, to be tempting for them to go back and practice these things. But again, Peter says, put these things aside. And then in verse 2, like newborn babies. You know, whether you've been a Christian for a few days or a few years, Long, he says, long for the pure milk of the word. You know, crave, crave the word of God with the same kind of energy a hungry infant would, would have for his bottle. 
You know, you understand that as a young parent when you wake up in the middle of your ni- the night and your, your, your child is screaming, screaming almost in pain because they want that bottle, they want that milk, and someone's got to get up, right? Because they're not going to go back to sleep. Someone has to get up and feed the child. But also notice, not only does he say long for the milk of the word, but he says long for the pure, the pure milk of the word, unadulterated, you know, without... Uh, uh, substance with it, but, but pure milk. You know, some, a lot of times when we uh, are, are doing a Bible study, you know, we might have a help aid with us, maybe a book to help guide us in our studies. And those things are helpful, but compared to the Word of God, you know, those books can be filled with error. They can be filled with opinion. And so to make sure that we're getting the best diet possible, Peter says, we must crave the pure Milk, uh, the first and foremost. And then he says, so that you may grow in respect to salvation. Right? We have to grow in respect to our salvation. You know, sometimes we might think of salvation as like a one-time action. You know, you, like you buy a pair of shoes, you go to the store, you buy a pair of shoes, you, you put those shoes on, you throw the box away, and you've got your shoes. Right? But that's not how salvation works because Peter says we need to grow in it. We need to uh, continue on. You know, we need to know more about Christ. We need to build our faith. We need to put our hope in him, grow in our salvation. You know, sometimes in the Lord's church, you know, we might be guilty of overemphasizing uh, baptism. You know, that we, we want to get people into the church and we want to get them baptized. And sometimes, you know, we're successful in doing that. But then, uh, you know, a few t- weeks later, uh, we might never see them again because uh, we overemphasize the, the baptism uh, a portion of you know, becoming a Christian. And so they end up thinking that that's all there was to it. All I need to do is to be baptized, to come out of the water, and now I'm a Christian. And that's the conclusion that they come up with. That's all that I need to do. And so they live a life outside of the church. They're rarely reading. They're rarely studying and applying God's word. You know, that's the part that Peter says is our growth in respect to salvation. You know, studying, reading, applying that. Uh, Yes, we're saved by the blood of the lamb, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. But now Peter says, now we need to feast upon the nourishment for spiritual growth. And look at verse 3, because this is just a, a, a powerful verse as well. Because if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, right, if, if you're going to want to grow in respect to salvation, uh, if you have tasted or experienced the kindness of the Lord, you know, just like that infant, its first taste of the milk, it, would, it should prompt us to want to return again and again to the feast. Are you familiar with the cowbird? The cowbird. I wasn't too familiar about this until I read about this the other day, but it, it's not the prettiest looking bird. It's got this black body and a brown head, and they're what's known as brood parasites. Uh, they rely on other birds to raise their young. What they do is that, you know, they fly around and they look for a nest and they lay their eggs in that nest, and that's how they survive because, because they let other birds uh, take care of their young. And so as they're young, are a little bit bigger than the the average bird. Uh, They are a little bit more aggressive than the average bird. Sometimes they'll push the rivals right out of the nest. Uh, But those birds, those cowbirds, they get the nourishment at the expense of others. And really, that's sort of a, a Christian parable, if you will, of, you know, whatever one nourishes in this life, that's what's going to grow and survive. The part of our life that grows and survives 
is the one that we feed. And what does our diet consist of this evening? Does it incorporate the spiritual or is it simply focused on the fleshly things of life? Again, for the Christian, one of the unique aspects of our hope, again, is seen in our intake, in our diet. Uh, Let's notice the second one as we read verses 4 through 8, our uniqueness in our hope uh, according to our identity. Peter continues, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. What do you like to be identified by? Your name, uh, maybe a nickname, a title? What about if someone referred to you as a living stone? You know, that sounds sort of like a paradox, right? Because uh, stones aren't alive. They're just these inanimate objects. But Peter, uh, when, when he's talking about these living stones, he's getting them to think about temple imagery, right? The temple was built by stones. And as he says there in verse 4, as we draw near or come to him, a living stone being Jesus a stone that was rejected by men, a stone that was precious and choice in the sight of God. He says, you also, Christians, you also are living stones and, being, and you're being built up into this spiritual house. Again, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, Old Testament imagery, a house was, a, was you know, a word that they often used for the temple, a place where God put his name, a place where he made his presence known. Well, in the New Testament as well, a temple is a place where God dwells, but that structure, Peter says, is the spiritual house. It's the church. And we as Christians, each one of you, are the building material that builds this spiritual house. And he often and he refers to a holy priesthood and, and offering up spiritual sacrifices. Again, getting us to think about the, the old temple or the old testament uh, uh, Program of, of priests and sacrificing. And under the law of Moses, priests stood be- between God and people. Right? To, to go to God, we had to go to, a, or they had to go to a priest uh, to offer their sacrifices. You know, not all Israelites were priests. You know, so they didn't have um, the ability to all to do that. They had to go to somebody who was a priest, who was of the tribe of Levi. But all Christians under the New Testament, are priests. Uh, Christians are able to give anything to God. Or the, ability, the ability for Christians to give anything to God should be a remarkable thought to us, that, that we can offer prayers, that we can offer songs of praise. You know, the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 13, verse 15, that we're offering a, the fruit of our lips, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Uh, Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, the, the uh, contribution that the Philippian church gave him was an offering as a fragrant aroma to God. Right? This, is, this is extra special for these, these Christians that are going through this persecution to know that, that, that 
uh, the intimacy that they have here in the, the, this New Testament covenant uh, of being able to uh, you know, offer up these sacrifices themselves. And then verses 6 through 8, again, Peter reinforces the idea as Christ as a living stone by referring to three different Old Testament passages. And he, he refers to Christ as a precious cornerstone. You know, this is that principal stone that you're going to start out with to build a, to a, a building or some sort of construction. Uh, everything else is going to be aligned to that stone. It's the standard of measure. And that's what Christ is, that he's the chief cornerstone. But he's also, Peter says, the stone which the builders rejected. Right? And that, of course, was referring to the, the Jews rejecting Jesus as their king. Uh, he's the stone that the builders rejected, and he's also a stone of stumbling, Peter says, a rock of offense. Because those who believe in the stone, the, the living stone, Jesus, again, they have that unique hope. But he says, but those who do, are not are destined to stumble over him. And again, for the Christian, another unique part of the hope, of our hope, is seen in our identity. Our identity should align. Again, it should align to that precious chief Cornerstone, and we see that in our identity as well. And then finally, this evening, and we, as we examine First Peter chapter two, we want to see that we have uniqueness in our impression. And I love First Peter chapter two, verse nine. It's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Let's read these two verses. As Peter writes, "But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession." So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And again, that verse 9 there, that contains four of those hats that we looked at so long ago. uh, uh, The description of Christians. And notice how each noun has its own unique qualifier. As a Christian, the, the, the Christian race is chosen. The, the, the Christian priesthood is royal. The Christian nation is holy. The Christian people are God's own possession. Again, or maybe your translation says a peculiar people. That's quite the impression uh, we ought to make uh, with those four descriptions in all that one verse. And because you are these things, Peter says, because you are chosen, because you are royal, because you are holy, because you are peculiar, he says in that verse, proclaim him. Do you know what that verse means? We all here are preachers. We here are all proclaimers of God. In a sense, all Christians are preachers. You know, it's not just the the man that's in the pulpit uh, uh, who's the preacher. But we are all to be preachers. We are all to be proclaimers of him. We all have that responsibility. Well, why? He tells us in that verse, because he has called you by the gospel message out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that should want us all to proclaim him to everyone that we meet. We have a unique message to preach. You know, whoever heard of such... Uh, such a, a story, right, of God, of deity coming to earth in the form of man, being a lowly bondservant, being tempted in all things, living a life like you and I, yet did not sin and had to die as a sacrifice, uh, as a lamb led to slaughter to free us of our sins. And through him we have redemption and forgiveness and eternal life, and all those things are found in Christ. Again, that message, that unique message that we have to proclaim to the world, that should be enough to impress anyone. 
Because you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had no mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you look at your life like that? When you read those verses, do you look back and think, I once was not one of God's people? That I once did not have mercy? When we think that way, when we think of it that way, and you know, really reflect on where we were at one point in our lives, we should want to reflect this. Right? We should want to be our impression to others. It's not that we impressed him, but he impresses us. And in turn, he gives us the motivation, again, to proclaim his excellencies and to impress others. Again, that is another unique part of our hope is seen in our impression. Because, again, we are chosen, we are royal, you know, kingly, we're holy, set apart, and peculiar. This evening, as I started this lesson of talking about the lifeboat baby and, again, how he gave a nation hope during World War II and because he survived on, uh, for a couple days out lost at sea, that that gave the nation hope uh, that they couldn't be defeated and it really you know, rallied them, Jesus gives greater hope. Again, the Christian's hope is quite unique. You know, your intake, that's unique. What, you often hear people say, you are what you eat. You know, you are what you eat. Well, what's on the menu this week? We might ask that. Is it Bible study or television? Is it encouragement or is it discouragement? Is it good works or is it being idle? What is your intake? What is your identity? Christians are a piece of God's spiritual house, a living stone, he says. And how well are you holding up your portion of the wall, right? being of the spiritual house? And again, Christians should have an impression to make on others that is unique to anything that we could possibly imagine. Well, the next few lessons as we continue on uh, to finish out chapter 2 and into chapter 3, we're going to focus in on the behavior of hope. And, and, and Peter's really going to talk about a lot of different aspects. He's going to talk about man and government. He's going to talk about our behavior towards earthly masters. He's going to talk about our behavior towards our spouses. And he's also going to talk about our behavior towards persecutors. But I pray this evening that Peter's message will encourage us all to try a little harder to please the one who has brought us, again, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And that we reflect on the uniqueness of our hope, uh, of the the Christian intake, to, to be fed by the pure milk of the word, our identity as living stones, and also our uniqueness in our impression that we are chosen, royal, holy, and a people for God's own possession. And this evening, as we offer the invitation, if there's anyone here this evening that needs the prayers of the congregation or needs to uh, ask for forgiveness or make anything known, uh, this would be a great time to do that. Or uh, if you're here this night and ready to put Christ on in baptism, again, uh, Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. If we can help you in any way this evening, please let us know as together we stand and sing.